0: Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. Bible teaching time. We're in Acts 3, page 907 in the hardback, if we handed you a hardback. If you do not own a Bible, that's our gift to you. Take it home. If you have a Bible and you know your way around, we're going to be at Acts 3, starting at verse 12. Acts 3, starting at verse 12. If you weren't with us last week, or if you forgot, Jesus... am oh, sorry, Jesus... Peter and John were just walking into the temple. This is shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven, said, my Holy Spirit is coming. His Spirit has come on his church. And now God is using signs and wonders to draw people's attention to the message of the apostles. They just healed a guy who was over 40 years old and who had never walked. Verse 12, Peter saw his opportunity, right? You just healed a man in a crowd. You got everyone's attention. He saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. Right? This just happened in the weeks before. They all know this happened. He's being super clear. Verse 14. You rejected this holy righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of... This is the third time he has said killed or murdered. Is he he dancing around the issue? Excuse me. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes, friends. I realize that you and your leaders did to, what you and your leaders did to Jesus was done in ignorance, but God was fulfilling what all the prophets had foretold about the Messiah—that he must suffer these things. Now repent of your sins and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. For he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things. As God promised long ago through his holy prophets, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. Listen carefully to everything he tells you. Then Moses said, Anyone who will not Listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from God's people. How many of you guys know Deuteronomy is important? You can fall asleep three chapters into Deuteronomy until somebody shows you, wait a minute, that book matters. Moses said that? And over a thousand years late later, God expects us to remember? We better read our Bibles. Verse twenty-four. Starting with Samuel, every prophet spoke about what is happening today. You are the children of those prophets, and you are included in the covenant God promised to your ancestors. For God said to Abraham, through your descendants, all the families on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, Jesus, he sent him first to you people of Israel to bless you by turning you back from your sinful ways. Holy Spirit, please give us soft hearts to receive what you're teaching us today. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Those of you who are taking notes, I hope it's all of you. A church on mission follows the pattern Jesus gave. Want to know what a church is that's focused on what we're supposed to be focused on? We're going to listen to what Peter has to say in this amazing sermon. What does a church on mission look like? they have the coolest programs? Did its leadership team go off to the coolest conference? Does their pastor have the coolest hair? Definitely not. What is it? Well, I'm so glad you asked. See, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he is sowing, planting seed, by Jesus' authority, of what healthy church looks like, because he is not preaching on his own right now. He's preaching on behalf of the Twelve, and it is this preaching that as people's hearts respond to it, they become adopted by God and are now a part of the church. This is church building. How many of you guys know that when you share what is true, that is church building? Big C, capital C, the church universal, is being built and grown as we share the truth with friends, as we share the truth with family members. You come and decide Jesus is the Savior of the world, and you love him with all of your heart and soul and mind. That is the kingdom of God that just grew by one more soul. A church on mission, not one that's distracted not a church that's floating down the cultural river like any dead fish can do. A church on mission follows the pattern that Jesus gave. So allow me to quickly remind you again, for those of you who've been here a while, I keep going back to John 6, because it might be the clearest and most painful image of how Jesus modeled ministry to the 12, and now we're seeing the 12 do the same thing. I think, let's just ask, actually, I shouldn't presume, if Jesus does it over and over and the apostles do it over and over. Is it worthy of our consideration in the 21st century? We ought to at least look at it, right? They might do something because they're in a Jewish context, and we go, oh, we're not in a Jewish context. There might be a reason, but we should at least take a close look. Okay. In John 6, Jesus does this. He takes a kid's lunchbox and feeds a stadium full of people. They come in even bigger numbers the next day, and say, he says to them, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. And this is where the 12 disciples, in their wisdom, because they read How to Win Friends and Influence People, they take the king of the universe off to side to have a little chat with him. If you've done this to God, you're in good company. So has Peter. Lord, are you sure about this? And he says to Jesus, Lord, you know that what you're saying is offending people, right? Right? Because God needs to be told that he's being offensive. Ah, woo, ah! And Jesus is sitting there going, aren't we lucky that Jesus is not as snarky as he could be in these moments? Because he could have gone totally passive. Well, I was trying to get people out of hell, but since Peter has a better idea. Right? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. Listen, the miracle was just to get you here, not to fill your stomach. It was to get you within earshot of what I'm going to proclaim and listening intently because I did something only God could do or somebody authorized by God could do. I did something big and miraculous to draw a crowd for divine purposes and now I'm telling you something divine. Divine. And what happens through the rest of John 6, he doubles down, people don't like it, and John 6, 6, 6 says at that point many people turned and walked away from Jesus. And you and I, in our modern mindset, of way of doing church, we would say, okay, well that's where we did it wrong. People walked away from Jesus, clearly we didn't do ministry right. Our small groups weren't on point. Our children's ministry didn't have the right outreach. People left, clearly this is our fault even though Jesus said the gospel is scattered and there are four different types of soil. Jesus already told us that. If you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard this over and over and over again. Jesus, over and over, and now the apostles are doing it too. A miracle that demands the attention of a crowd. And now he's proclaiming what is true, specifically about Jesus. This is the pattern a few weeks ago, had something really cool happen, and this idea of miracle draws attention, proclaim what is true, uh, really revealing the God behind the miracle, and then at the end, the call to action, whether Jesus or Paul, is always calling people to worship the God behind the miracle, right? He said in John 4, I'm looking for, my father is looking for those who will worship in spirit and in truth. He's looking for worshipers is what he's doing. A couple of Saturdays ago, we've got some fellas that go to Starbucks way too early on Saturdays, and we wrestle with how is God growing us, and how can he take us to How can we encourage and build each other up? And we were having this conversation. (laughs) If you thought that your God was small, (laughs) we're having this conversation. Of all things, we're talking about the very active cultural conflict between Christians and LGBTQ community. And we're chatting And we have a guy come over 10 minutes later and interrupt us and say, hey, sorry for eavesdropping, but I couldn't help but hear. And he said to us, I know that everybody's hating each other on social media over this exact issue, but I have a feeling a lot fewer people would be upset at Christians if they heard it explained the way you guys just explained that. We knew he could hear us. It's Starbucks. (laughs) But the onus is on him for eavesdropping, so take that. (laughs) I wasn't preaching at you, or was I? (laughs) Brothers and sisters, nobody healed a man in that Starbucks who couldn't walk. But communicating disagreement in a gentle and loving way that does not condemn the person you disagree with is nothing short of a miracle in our culture. Because we preached it last week, not every way that God glorifies himself is the miracle, right? As we traditionally define the word miracle. Anytime you show the character and beauty of Christ to somebody, that's the miracle that it can very much demand attention. And we showed them love, and gentleness and respect in a place where no American expects love and gentleness and respect. To go back to the illustration I've used many times, that cow was purple. I'm driving down 99. I see lots of cows. They're in the background noise. But if somebody paints their cow purple, I'm going to notice. There's nothing more purple than grace and kindness and respect in the middle of hot-button topics. That was the miracle that he needed where he listened to who Jesus was. So, here's your next step, note takers. Invest in holiness and friendship at the same time to bring your friends everyday miracles. You want to bring everyday miracles to your friends? I know you do. Maybe you are that friend. You'd love to see part of Jesus' face to help understand what this is all about. Invest in holiness, your own walk with God, obeying him with greater and greater joy and invest in friendships around you, not just your dad-blasted holy huddle. Do this at the same time. You have to, in order to obey a command directly from the mouth of Jesus, Jesus is kind of important around here. Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your light shine before men that they may glorify my Father in heaven. Why? Because they saw your good works. That's the middle phrase. Let your light shine. They will see your good works. They will glorify my Father in heaven. So you have to be working on yielding to the Holy Spirit so that he changes and transforms you, and you have to be in relationship with people who don't know Jesus yet. Guys, can we say out loud, it is really, really much easier to have friends that see, the same, see everything the same way that you see it? Isn't that easier? Right? This is one of those core behaviors that we are going to decide inside ourselves, am I primarily a consumer or am I primarily a part of the kingdom of God? Because we know the answer for a consumer, we do the easiest possible thing. That's what consumers are going to do, because comfort is the core value being pursued. Brothers and sisters, pursue holiness every day deeply and pursue friendships with folks around you. There is no other way to obey Jesus when he says, Let your light shine before men. This is the pattern that he gave. There is a miracle of some kind. Your righteousness might be that miracle. And God reveals, the people of God perhaps, reveal who Jesus is because of the attention drawn. And then they call folks to worship the God behind the miracle. Number two, a church on mission addresses the real questions of real friends. A church on mission addresses the real questions of real friends. Friends, so I want you to think, and forgive me if you're new to church, you're not going to know these two fellas, but everybody else knows. Peter and Paul had two very different approaches. Nah, well, they might have had different approaches. They had two very different ministries that were the exact same calling. They were called to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ, particularly through his bloodied cross and his empty tomb. People called to put their faith in that cross to wash away their sins. That mission was the same, But after that, it was really different. Paul was sent to what we would call Normalsville. Everybody who's not a Jew. That's pretty normal, 21st century United States. Most of your friends at work, your classmates at school, you do not think of the world as everybody around me is a devout Jew. You don't view your world as half of my friends are devout Jews. For us, it is kind of peculiar and no offense, but like we, we run into a, the occasional Barbara Streisand Jew, but like, actually does all this, you know, the, the people that you see in the, in the various neighborhoods of Jerusalem, when our missionary Mr. Cole comes and talks about the really, really devout. You're not expecting your coworker to be a really devout Jew. So Peter's ministry to the Jews is pretty much a foreign concept for a 21st-century Christian. He gets to share the gospel with people. When he says God, he doesn't have to explain that word. Or even say, yes, God exists. Or in Paul's context, no, 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 only one God exists. Peter can say Messiah, and he doesn't have to explain that word. Does that make sense? Because he's preaching to a crowd full of Jews here in Acts 3. Peter can say Samuel, and he doesn't have to explain who Samuel is. He can say things like, son of David, they're totally with him. You guys, us, very rarely may happen a tiny bit inside our own internal church ministry. We usually do not get to be in a room where we just walked into the room. We have no relationship with folks. I haven't met you from Adam, but I can start talking at level three or level four about scripture because levels one, two, and three are already, we know that this crowd already knows. Right? Maybe if you're going and you're invited to be a speaker at a Christian conference, you're like, okay, people are here because they already love Jesus. But that is not happening in the cubicle next door for you, most likely. That is not happening in your classroom at Sierra. Okay, um, William Jessup, you guys get a pass. <laughs> you, you hope that your students know and love Jesus and know the scriptures. Uh, the the ministry is very different. A Jewish crowd for Peter here, this crowd might very well be asking themselves the question, when will Messiah get here? Who is Messiah? Are we still waiting? Was Jesus him? Guys, 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 guys. People in Alexandria, Egypt, and in Turkey, and in Rome, and in Gaul, and in Spain, none of them were asking who Messiah was. What is that word? Right? Right? So when Paul is called to go to what they call the Gentiles, everybody who's not Jew, he has to preach way different. We see in Acts 17, he finds himself in Athens, and he sees all of their uh, statues and altars to these various gods, and he's moved deeply in his spirit, and he later gets a chance to proclaim who Jesus is, and he has a very different starting point than Peter does. Are you guys with me so far? Totally different starting point. Paul has to go, hey, I noticed you guys have this statue to an unknown God. I'm here to tell you who he is. Was that smooth? Good job, Paul. Peter didn't have to do that. Peter has an entirely different ministry. I am literally at the temple healing a guy. Of course these are devout Jews. I'm going to land the plane is what I'm going to do. These guys... Already believe they are sons of Abraham. They know who Abraham was. They know the promises of God. They know we've been waiting on Messiah. I'm going to tell them who Messiah was. Furthermore, they know the evening news. They know that Jesus just got killed. They know all the buzz that Jesus was raised the next day, and everyone's fighting back. Are we sure? What do you think? What do you think? Peter is preaching in his context. He is serving the friends. Are you ready? That he has, not the friends he wishes he had. I'm guilty. Anybody here guilty? Like, I wish I was having these conversations with my friends, and instead, uh, we're way over here. I gave you guys an example a couple months ago. Uh, What if your evangelistic training has you asking the question, if you were to die tonight, do you know if Jesus would let you into his heaven? And your friend responds, I don't know if I really believe in heaven or hell. And all of a sudden, you're like, well, now what do I do, right? Right? You were prepared for a friend who ended up being an imaginary friend. You might have a friend who needs to ask himself or herself that question. If your friend, or maybe it's you, if you believe there is a God, he is righteous and holy and and beautiful, he's the source of all truth in the universe. If you believe in heaven or hell, that's a great question. But am I preparing myself as an ambassador of the gospel, am I preparing myself for my real friends that I'm actually in relationship with? Or am I preparing myself for the friends that I wish I had? Or that I used to have 20 years ago? Maybe I served friends 20 years ago quite well with certain ideas and the culture has changed so fast, I have to retool. Anybody here at work, you were doing your job just fine in your late 20s and early 30s, but 20 years later in the exact same job you were doing very different things? Because what? The world changes. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You can sit there and you can put the lid on the toothpaste and then a machine comes along and is doing your job for you. And what does dad do? He has to learn how to repair the machine that replaced him. This is being the church of Jesus Christ. You see, our message never changes. Our methodologies always have to change. How are we going to get Jesus to folks is always going to change. Here's your next step. Become an incredible listener. That's your blank. Become an incredible listener. Listening to those around you is the difference between theoretical apologetics and effective apologetics. That's a big word I haven't used enough. This is careful, thoughtful argumentation to defend why the Christian faith is desirable, reasonable, okay? Am I preaching a sermon nobody asked for is kind of the fear of the evangelist. You want to love your friend well, start with listening to them. Brothers and sisters, guys, this is so easy. Listen to your friend, and they will tell you where their doubts are. Who can testify to that? You've had some friends just tell you flat out, this is what I'm not so sure about the Bible. This is what I'm not so sure about Christianity. Your friend is telling you. Where we get into trouble is when we start yakking first, right? I'm talking first, and I might be barking up the wrong tree. I don't know, because I need to hear a little bit of your story. I need to l- hear a little bit of your doubts. Where are you at? What do you, what do you think about the world? What do you think about good and evil? Do you believe in good and evil? Wouldn't that be a, an amazing question to ask and just shut up for the next 15 minutes? What do you think about good and evil? you think they're real? Is that just synapses firing in our brain or do you think there's something metaphysical to it? That's a powerful question. Probably one of the more important questions today. Another next step. I want to encourage you. Find a friend who will be your Google. Yes, Google is your blank today. Capital G. Google. Find a friend who will be your Google. This communicates better for some generations than others. I remember being in high school when Google was no longer a website, it became a verb. Where they said, Google it. I was like, I'm young, I'm hip, I should know these things. Talk to my wife, I'm always 17 steps behind on technology. For young folks, Google it is one and the same with, this is where we get information. Brothers and sisters, some of us use our lack of knowledge as an excuse to not serve our friends. I've done it. My hand's up. We think we have to know the answer to every imaginable possible question. We think we need to know so much. And once we're a professional, and once we have a degree, like some of you don't know and don't care, others of you maybe you know, maybe you care, I've never been to seminary. That probably intimidates me more than it intimidates you. But you guys were crazy enough to put me up here. Cuz what am I going to do? I am going to pass along to you the last thing God showed me. That is all that's all I do. <laughs> right? And we have elders in place to crook, me you know, around the neck, yank me off the stage, something goes sideways, right? Christianity is beggars talking to other beggars about where they just found bread. One of the greatest evangelists during Jesus' ministry is a woman who just had maybe a 10 minute conversation with Jesus and she runs into town. Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Brothers and sisters, you are going to feel so much freedom to get into good conversations with your friends as soon as, I'm going to throw Dennis under the bus because I know he serves in this role already, but all of the elders should be willing to serve in this role. Maybe your, your, Sunday, your, your Bible school te- you know, Bible study teacher or a friend of yours. Somebody nearby that you know and you love and you trust, they help you with your Bible questions. Right? This is the church. This is what we do. We help each other in seeing God and cherishing God and chasing after him. And officially or unofficially, you need to ask them to be your Google. Hey, could I text you, like, any point throughout the week, and you help me with a question? Hey, could we have a few minutes during small group where we could just ask our off-the-wall questions from our experiences during the week? We've had that happen in group. I thought I was going to be teaching on this, and then folks are like, actually, I had this conversation on Friday. Well, I had this conversation on Tuesday, right? And you roll with it, because this is real ministry. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you need a go-to person that, so you are comfortable with your friends and family going, that is a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I'm going to ask my friend, and I'll get back to you. Your family member is not going to laugh and point in your face and say, ha-ha, you're stupid. That is Satan whispering into your ear. That's not your friend. Just get a friend to sign up and say, hey, would you be my Google for me that I can reach out to you? I want to tell you quickly about a story story about a church where they uh, put together a buddy system and said, you need a buddy. Somebody who's known the Lord 10 years, 15, 20 years longer than you have. You need a buddy that you can fall back on with your Bible questions when you're serving your friends. And then the pastor said, and this is crazy and I love it and I want to encourage you. They put in place what is called the 48-hour rule. If you're having coffee after work with a friend on a Monday, let's say it's 5.30, you're just grabbing coffee real quick on your way home. They ask you a question and you have no idea what the answer is and you already have a relationship with your small group leader. Your small group leader says, yeah, you can absolutely lean on me. I'm happy to get a text at any time. I'll help you. I'll serve you, equip you. Ephesians 4.12. The pastor said, you are not allowed to text your person until 5.30 p.m. on Wednesday because you have a Bible. And when you ask your person They are not going to give you the answer. They're going to say, go take a look at Philippians chapter 2. I think you might find what you're looking for. Is that training and equipping the saints or what? Here's where I bet you're going to find it. Go, go, Go to Psalm 102. I think you're going to be happy with what you see there. Oh, brothers and sisters, let's get our big boy pants on. Doesn't that get your blood pumping? Okay, just me. No, no, Dennis was with me. He was clapping. Two of us are very excited. Number three, a church on mission is crystal clear about the essentials. And this is not a sermon point, even though I gave it a number. This is just I want to draw our attention to what Peter just did, and then we're going to close in prayer. He was super clear about Jesus' identity. And I want to keep repeating to you who are regulars. We are in a culture where everyone's talking about identity and the main problem is that without knowing the identity of God, I don't have a rubric given to me for what we call reality. God is so big that knowing who he is gives me a framework for reality. Does that make sense? What is light and day? I'm glad you asked. It's in Genesis 1. So the God of the Bible, his identity as creator is going to give you the answer. Like everything is gonna stem from that. If he is a nobody, if he is a myth, then I have to find a different rubric by which to answer any and all questions. He is crystal clear, and I gave all the verses so if you got the notes in front of you, personal accountability for sin. All healthy ministry with our friends and family members, maybe it's you, you're kicking the tires of Christianity, you need to know that you have a personal accountability for your rebellion against God. All of us do. That's why the Christian next to you, we're not better than you. Nobody's better. Jesus is the only one who's better, right? He was clear about the historicity, if I could speak, historicity of the resurrection, the desirability of the resurrection, the implications of the resurrection. You want this to happen, Peter is saying. If Jesus raised from the dead, so many good things, times of refreshing are coming your way because of this being true. He was crystal clear that forgiveness of sin is being offered freely. He was crystal clear that there are blessings from being reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus. And I want to put, and I put these down in the notes on purpose. I want to submit to you that 21 centuries later, 20 centuries later, I don't think you can take any of these out of gospel preaching and still have the whole picture. Anybody ever played Jenga, that blocks game, and you realize there's a point at which there literally is no block? You, you get to the end, and so that's how the person, if it's your turn, you know you've lost because there's weight bearing down on on that block, if you move it, it's over. Okay. These, if you remove even one of them, the Jesus of the Bible isn't really the same. So here, here's my next step for you, Christian. If you love Jesus, memorize the foundations of Christianity. There are no words. There's no specific. I mean, you, we could come up with a, a belief statement, I suppose. But do you in your bones? keep pursuing who is jesus and you know it and you could share do you in your bones know that you are personally accountable for sin and his cross was the only way all of these things are they deep inside you that's what i mean when i say memorize are all of these pieces of god's redemptive story are they deep inside you next step if you're a guest ponder the foundations of christianity i gave you the list it's in your hands I want you to think deeply. We've been very honest with you, if you're a guest, about who Jesus is and what his claims are. Wrestle with them. Please wrestle. Wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and ask God to show himself to you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of Acts chapter 3. We thank you for Peter's bold and clear preaching. God, would you give us the same boldness because we fear you We love you. We love those who are around us. God, grow our love. Grow our reverence for you that that would manifest itself in sharing the goodness of Jesus to anybody around us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. God's people said. Amen. Amen. One last reminder. We've got a guest preacher next week that I'm really excited about. Pastor Timothy from... Vintage Church in Lodi, our sister church. It is Pulpit Swap Sunday, the NorCal District Church of God. So I will be preaching in Lodi. He will be preaching here. Um, Guys, I'm not just saying it, because this might be online. Oh, my goodness, can this guy preach. Oh, my goodness. So I know only a handful of us were at men's retreat, but oh, my goodness. So do yourself a favor. Uh, Make sure you're here. I know a bunch of you are laying it on the line teaching future generations the gospel, and I appreciate that. When it goes on to podcast later in that day or on Monday or Tuesday, make sure to hear what Pastor Timothy brings. I know what he's preaching on, so I'm more excited than you are. (laughs) Uh, That's your last reminder. I love you. Have a great week.